Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first official episode of the People Project Podcast. I am your host, Kelsey Klein, and today we will be talking about fear, both rational, irrational, internal, external. We are getting to it all. So first, let's look at the definition of fear. Initially, I thought of it as something like heights or clowns or spiders, etc. I mean, this is one of the first, if not the first question on my list for people. So I expected it to be kind of like an icebreaker, like, you know, let's talk about being afraid of heights. But when I really started talking to people and doing my research, I learned that it really goes much deeper than that. There's so much science behind fear and how most fear is learned and developed at a young age and influenced by our environment and our culture. But it goes even further than that. Let's talk about how the brain processes fear. When presented with something that scares you, there is an immediate fight-or-flight response. Sensory systems in the amygdala signals the brain based on what you see or smell or hear. So that triggers an adrenaline response that tells your heart to beat faster, your body to sweat. Another part of your brain, the higher cortical center, almost simultaneously creates a reasoning response. So... If you're somebody who loves to go skydiving, you're not going to be afraid to go skydiving. You're going to have an excited response. It's going to be a reasoning response because you know, oh, I've done this before and I didn't die. Which is not necessarily the best reason to do something, but it's fine. So some evidence suggests that thrill-seeking is like anything else that could be considered pleasurable. It releases dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter in the brain that helps control our brain's reward and pleasure centers. So higher risk, more cortical center engagement, more dopamine. So extreme sports athletes, the cast of jackass, etc., So fear isn't necessarily a bad thing. It was a survival mechanism for decades. You just have to learn to control it instead of letting it control you. So here's an example. Story time. When I was in, I believe it's kindergarten, we went on a field trip to the zoo, to the Memphis Zoo. And I don't know if it's still there because as you will learn from this story, this is something that I avoid when I visit the zoo in Memphis, but they had this butterfly exhibit and it was like this completely separate room thing. And you went in there and the door closed behind you and there were just like butterflies flying around everywhere and whatever. So in theory, this sounds very great, right? You know, just little butterflies, very peaceful, whatever. Well, I got separated from my class. So I immediately went into panic mode. I thought, I'm going to die here. I'm going to get lost here forever. So I'm scared. I'm alone. And butterflies are landing on me. I'm touching them, trying to take them off of me. And their like colors and skin are coming off on my fingers. It was absolutely traumatic. So turns out really wasn't very far separated from my class. They were just like on the other side of the door. I just apparently wasn't paying attention, but it was very traumatic. I was young. I still, butterflies like give me the heebie-jeebies. So there we go. Another example of fear would be 
on a recent episode of the Fox TV show 911, which is a guilty pleasure of mine, there was a lady who wouldn't leave her house um, because of a car wreck. I think her husband or her sister or someone died in a car accident that she was, I believe, the driver in. And so it had been like a decade since she had left her house. Well, there was a landslide happening and she was asked to evacuate and she wouldn't. Landslide happened. Her house slid. She got stuck because like the whole house caved in and she ended up surviving. But through that, she learned, okay, the thing that I am afraid of that I'm fearing is the thing that could have been what killed me. So fear was keeping her there. And that reminds me of a lyric by the band Law Dispute. If my fears kept me here, only my fear can set me free. So how often does fear keep us from doing the things that would be beneficial for our lives? Let me give you some examples of fears that people that I have interviewed have given me. So heights, drowning, the ocean, seemingly very common fears. Dying in a car accident, mankind, which honestly, same. Um, Having a medical emergency and no one being around to help because they live alone. Um, That they will have such bad anxiety for the rest of their life and it will never allow them to grow more. Getting married and their spouse dying and then embarrassment slash failure. They said playing it safe has prevented them from taking full advantage of the opportunities that they've had and from taking enough risks to avoid a deep sense of regret in various areas of my life. You see what I mean? I thought this was going to be like, I don't really like clowns, but it took a totally different turn. And I'm so glad that it did because as you can see, we all have things that we're afraid of. They range from big to small, internal to external, but most of them come from somewhere. So what do we do about it? What can we learn from the things that scare us? As I mentioned above, don't really love butterflies. I also don't love clowns heights or the ocean. Um, But I discovered after talking to my friend Caleb recently that my fear of heights in the ocean and probably if I think about it more, everything else wasn't really about those specific things. It was about a loss of control and a lack of knowledge about something. If I don't understand something, it will make me crazy. So from a young age, I would research the heck out of the things that scared me. First was tornadoes and storms. I wore the cinematic masterpiece known as Twister out. Like we had to have multiple copies of the DVD. It was always in the built-in DVD player in my mom's van. Like that's all I wanted to watch. I also remember coming downstairs one year to my parents watching what was probably like a Dateline episode about the John Bonet Ramsey murders. And I was around the same age at that time that she was when she died, and it freaked me out. So it developed what some may consider an unhealthy obsession with true crime. Shout out Criminal Minds. But I am fully confident that if I were put in some sort of compromising situation, I would at least know what to do. So you tell me if that's a good or a bad thing. Now, let's discuss the Enneagram. And if you haven't taken the Enneagram test, please do. It's one of my favorite things, and I will probably reference it a lot because I find it super interesting and I love to talk about it. So 
go take the Enneagram test. You can just Google Enneagram test, DM me, I'll send you a link. It's great. So the psychology of the Enneagram states that each personality type has a core fear that drives them. So the fear is something that we work against with our basic desire. So every Enneagram has a basic fear, basic desire. So for example, if someone's basic fear is being controlled by others, their basic desire would be to have freedom, which might deteriorate into escapism or something similar. So I personally am an Enneagram 2. It's defined as the helper. And I have an innate need, like capital need, to help people. So based strictly off of this, one of my underlying fears is of being worthless, dispensable, unloved, or just like unwanted by other people. So one of my friends sent me a couple days ago a post by at Enneagram Ashton on Instagram. Go follow her. Her stuff is great. She sent me a post um, that talks about the lies that you tend to believe about yourself based on your Enneagram type. So what mine said was, um, my worth depends on what I do for others. People don't appreciate me. People are only friends with me because they have to be and that my needs don't matter. Now, like I said, these are lies that I tend to believe about myself based on my fears, but it is what it is. It also doesn't help that I'm a chronic overthinker. Like these things kind of work together and um, saying no to someone or just being rejected are two things that I really, really hate. And when it comes from just deep down, I really just want to be loved and needed and not just needed, but wanted like chosen to be a part of someone's life or situation. So because of my fear, I lavishly say yes and have a hard time setting boundaries And I tend to find the topic of needs like a little sticky. So I think I tend to think like my needs don't matter or if I need something that I have shame about it or when I recognize my needs, I don't have anybody to share it with. And that makes me feel like resentful. And so I tend to look to other people to define who I am instead of allowing like God to define that for me and who I was created to be and defining myself by like who I am at my core. So to wrap this up, last week, one of my best friends gave me some great advice. No is a full sentence. So right now that is my biggest focus and goal, learning to say no, that self-care isn't selfish and I can't pour from an empty cup. And I have to remember to do and I have to remember to choose myself and the things that bring me joy like this podcast so we started talking about fear and butterflies and heights we ended here with the Enneagram and internal needs and internal fears so I challenge you to think about what are you struggling with what are your biggest fears do you have people in your corner to cheer you on If you do or you don't, as always, my DMs are open. Yes, this is a podcast, but it's also meant as a resource to better connect all of us to each other because life is tough, but no one's going through it alone. So that is all for this episode of The People Project. Once again, thank you so much for joining me. And please be sure to subscribe and leave me a review to let me know what you thought of this first episode and what you want to see in the future. I'm working on lining up some guests for the coming weeks, and I'm so pumped. So stay tuned. For now, thanks for listening.